Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Movie Chef podcast where we make a meal out of movies and boy are we making a meal for you today. <laughs> we are bringing you an excellent line of our special interviews in the past we've had. Cormac, can you remember everybody we've had? We've had Xander Berkeley. We've had uh, Jeffrey we've had Wiseman. Jeffrey Wiseman, yeah. We've had we've, uh, David Hater. We've had David Hater. We've had, uh, I can't remember her name, from the Ukrainian... Natalia Baden from Natalia uh, Planet, Planet Aquino. We've mm-hmm. had the uh, the couple from Fizz and Ginger Films, mm-hmm. uh, the Butler Hearts from the Fizz Butler and Hearts. Ginger. But today we are bringing you a very, very special, I cannot believe I'm saying these words. We have got an interview with Dr. Uwe Boll, renowned, famous, infamous filmmaker. You know shenanigan, shenanigan maker. He loves shenanigans. Look, if you know who Uwe Boll is, you know who he is, okay? Um, there is certain there is certain opinions about him that have been uh, developed over the years that I think people just stick to before actually seeing any of his work. One one hundred percent, I can guarantee yep. you that most of the people who complain about Uwe Ball movies have never seen an Uwe Ball movie ever. Uh, and if you're talking about uh, one thing, we're, I'm hopefully going to we're going to pick up on in the interview is uh, it's 2024. He started making these films 20 years ago back when the internet was first coming around and there were internet trolls. And you think nowadays with Star Wars, with the Marvels, with Doctor Who, with all this toxic fanboy cancellation of people online, it's the exact same shit that was happening to Uber back 20 years ago. It made made video game films that didn't fit the vision of the fandom and they rejected him. And ever since then, he's been stuck with this uh, opinion. So we are going to try and get through that today and, uh, talk to Uva. Um, are you excited for this one? I'm actually excited. <laughs> okay. Uh, be sure to follow us on Spotify. Please give us a rating. Ask some questions in there. Um, it means all the difference to us. Um, Apple, uh, Good Pods, give us a review. Uh, you can also find us on Movie moviechefpodcast.com I'm still learning it moviechefpodcast.com uh, but be sure to give us a follow and everything and uh, well here's Uva Ball. Please welcome to the Move Chef podcast, uh, Dr. Uwe Bold. Doctor, <laughs> doctor, thank you for... <laughs> I'm a human doctor, so... Uh, no. Oh, shit, I was going to ask you a whole pile of medical questions. <laughs> I, know, I know, And we talked about medical questions with the worms. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, we were just that. talking, yeah. before we started recording, we were just talking about Uwe's dog not being so well. So if you hear, uh, uh, if you hear a dog in the background, don't worry about it. Don't worry, we're all good. But yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I think your reputation speaks for itself. Filmmaker, uh, boxer, restauranteur. Uh, you've done everything in your career and it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to speak with you. So thank you very much. Yeah, no, don't worry. Well, you know what? We'll start it off. We'll start it off pretty easy, right? So maybe we'll start off with top three movies. Not, not have to be your favorite, but some of the three movies maybe that you've watched more than anything else. Uh, that is a different question, right? Because there are films, I would say, there are the top three movies of all, top 10 movies of all times, but you're not like necessarily watch them more as once yeah. or twice, you know? And uh, there are films like Jaws, I love, and I watched at least seven or eight times because I really enjoyed watching it. Escape from New York was good, Russell. I have watched at least five times. So uh, it's it's different, right? So there are some films you, um, this in TV, whatever, and then, uh, oh, 
great. I'm just I'm watching it again. And there are films where you watch them and you think, whatever, Citizen Kane, I maybe watched twice, right? I know it's a masterpiece, but it's not like I didn't watch it for the last 20 years, right? So it's yeah. not like I'm not dragged to watch it again. And um, Clockwork Orange, I watched, I think, also only twice because, of course, it's a masterpiece, but it's definitely no fun to watch. I think I think it's one of those ones as well where everybody has those comfort movies. Like I don't know what it is like in uh, in Vancouver and in Germany, but over here in Ireland, the UK, for some reason, Rambo and Rambo Three are on like every Tuesday night on a random digital channel, and I don't know why. I don't know why, but I always fucking end up watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, it's like Rocky. Rocky won. Uh, I watched also at least four or five times, and it gets me every single time. Yeah. You know, and uh, recently I watched that doku about Sylvester Stallone, and uh, I mean, he did two. One with his family, more the reality TV bullshit, basically. But the other one was really good, just about him and yeah. his year. And I really, uh, I really admire him what he did out of his life, out of his career. I mean, he came from nothing. He had no chance, basically. He even had a, a, a problems to talk properly that you understood it, whatever. But he has that instinct, what works for him as a character, you know? And that is also what I, when I compare him with Schwarzenegger, for example, or other superstars, they're always playing themselves, like uh, Bruce Willis, uh, um, Schwarzenegger, they they are great in that what they play, but I think Stallone is better because he's also a great director and uh, a scriptwriter. So he has some uh, like um, assets what other this kind of typical action stars uh, just don't have. And uh, he always also in Rambo One he brings that extra factor in what the humanity makes. You know, where, where you really are emotional attached to. And uh, and I think, um, I have a lot of Terminator 2, whatever, a lot of Schwarzenegger films are great too. But he doesn't have that last, I think, bit of what makes a real film movie star. You know, it's like that. And I think uh, uh, Stallone, even now in Tulsa King or whatever, whatever he's doing is 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 kind of highly entertaining. And at the same time, you feel also in that interviews that he was totally aware of what he was doing. Mm -hmm. You know, it was not like I got a job and I got 10 million bucks and I do this and do that. Uh, it was really like, in a way, uh, he recognized very early on the limitations, but the strengths he has, and that he made the maximum, in a way, uh, out of it. Yeah, I mean that you mentioned. You mentioned there just quickly going back. Clockwork Orange. You said uh, it, it's not fun to watch, but it's a great movie, and I kind of get that feeling with some of your own films: Rampage, Assault on. Wall Street, Auschwitz, Darfur, they're not fun to watch these films with all due respect. They're, they're challenging. Um, is that, do you take that from Jaws, Clockwork Orange, these sort of controversial films? And do you, do you put that into your own films and want people to be challenged as well? Yes. I mean, uh, it was clear for me when I went so drastic violent on, on Darfur, for example, that it will destroy the chance to have a really big audience. 
right? But I felt like I need to show this because that is actually how it really happens. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that is the thing. It's like, it's easy to write an article about uh, kids getting impaled and women get raped and hacked into pieces, but it's a total, totally different thing. And film can do this, right? To visualize that, to to actually say, no, that is what they do. That is what, what's happening. You know, when you see now the whole Hamas massacres in Israel, I mean, they did things like this right there. Yeah. You know, cutting breasts off and still raping the torso. I mean, uh, that uh, what is happening to humans who can do this to people, right? So they're always dehumanizing the other humans. They are not humans for them. Like the Nazis, they didn't thought the Jews are humans. They can just exterminate them. And that happened to uh, various groups in on the, on the planet at various times where they were just not like counted anymore as, as humans. And that, that shows like this kind of, I mean, my overall philosophy is that humans are not good, right? I think humans can be moved in every single direction. You can make good things and bad things, but uh, you know, animals, they want to eat, so they kill and, you know, but they're not like just killing randomly everything they see, especially if they have a full stomach. And but humans can do that. So and that is this why I made so much films about amok runs and attacks like terrorist attacks. This kind of uh, situations because I'm kind of fascinated by that subject matter. Why things escalate? Why yeah. uh, you know? And sometimes, like I saw on Wall Street, I show good reasons for it. In a way, you know, I feel like he had all reasons to kill the bankers. His yeah. life alvarized by the bankers. So he went for revenge because the law was not helping him. And but on Rampage, it's greed. You know, it's mm. just like Brandon Fletcher, uh, like Bill Williamson is a very evil person. But I think I made it so entertaining because everything he says is right. So it's this kind of like his whole political commentary and all the Rampage films, whatever, are dead on. And they're still very much dead on right now. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's the one, the one great thing, the one great thing was sometimes when you're watching your movies, like me and Paul were talking uh, just before you came on and it's that kind of real life grit that kind of comes into it and that truth that kind of comes into it. Sometimes people just don't want to see the truth. Um, and that's why that, you know, they, they sometimes would look at movies, even like postal, you look at the comedy that's involved in postal. And like, I remember the first time that I seen postal, the, f the first scene with the two terrorists in the plane and yeah. the talking about the virgins and it's it, it that bit was funny but the the funny bit that got me was when the passengers break in to to the, the and there's that shouldn't shout no we're going to the bahamas no yeah. we're going to the Bahamas. and that's kind of thing that got me and that's that's what your movies to me have the best of it's you can tell that people are, are having fun making them you can tell that there is a truth to it that's kind of a hard watch and you can tell that there is a very, very dark gallows humor that is in within all your movies. And I think that's what sometimes people find it hard to uh, to justify or to understand. You know, do you purposely make them like that? Yes. I mean, it's I'm a, that is what I meant was I'm a more cynical character. Right. So and uh, I'm always going for the dark side in a way. And at, at the same time, um, I think everything is worse to make jokes about. 
Mm -hmm. so I'm a little mm -hmm. like the Ricky Gervais, but not as a stand-up comedian. So, you know, like I, for me, there are no uh, holy cows or whatever. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. And of course, now it gets worse and worse and worse the last few years. And uh, I mean, a film like Postal would be completely impossible. No, you cannot make that. Like <laughs> no, you would not get any distribution. You would not get any actors. Think about mm. who was in Postal. They were like Oscar-winning actors then. Yeah. They loved the, the script. They, J.K. Simmons, Simon Cassell, Michael Huddleston, whatever. So they loved the script. And today they would hate the script because the agent would tell them, you cannot do that mm. film it's uh the end of your career so and but that shows that self-censorship is very bad and it shows also i think um in a way what i did in rampage three where you have that civil war in the end basically the white house gets attacked and stuff like this uh look shortly after we had trump and then the the, the congress got got attacked yeah truth <laughs> yeah you know it's this kind of um it's very easy to destabilize a society or democracy. If some rules are out of the window or uh, groups in a society don't feel the, gov the government can do anything about it, what they're doing, or they will be not punished by it in any form, they go rogue. Then, and you have that in Africa all the time, but you have it also more and more in Europe. You have it in North America, where people think they can get away with stuff, what is totally against the law. And where you have, on the other side, have a kind of a vogue council culture government group who basically make everybody a fascist who is not on their whatever agenda. You know, when mm -hmm. they think, like in Germany, we have huge uh, internal fighting right now within only 20% of the government has, uh, basically they have only... 20% support left the government in polls, right? So, and that is because they're pissing everybody off with their way too fast change to renewable energies. You know, like when the Russian gas stopped and then they still switched off all because they planned that 10 years ago and they still switched off all the nuclear plants and then went straight to like wind and sun and then they recognized, oh, fuck, we don't have enough energy. So they started buying fracking gas from US or from Qatar or like all the stuff that is very bad for the environment. They have coal mining things in Germany, totally reactivated everywhere. And the Green Party was in the government. They now sugarcoating all of this, you know, and that that is what the population doesn't go with you know they feel like i want to fucking kidding me we get like 30 percent more cost for all our electricity and gas and oil in germany then against better knowledge you switch the nuclear the few nuclear plants we had left off and uh five years ago the green party would said we can never buy fracking gas we never want to have or qatar we don't buy shit from qatar you know so and then how how fast they switched against in their agenda to like uh, nuclear is bad, gas is bad, oil is bad, everything is bad. But now we basically still use gas, but we say it's not bad. It's like a South Park episode, basically. You know, where you watch this and you think like, what the fuck are they talking about? Lying. <laughs> you know? And and, uh, and then uh, so they have a few of that things. The migration issue. I mean, it was the whole in England, the whole Brexit was a big migration thing. 
it didn't stop the migration actually uh you know and um it, it is a, a disaster in germany with so many migrants coming in every year and then they getting housing they're getting money and now you have the population who has to pay way more money for their own lives you know and they see okay they are now in the schools they're getting everything for free the school food the school books they're getting health care for free and they have to pay everything so that brings resentment you need you cannot do shit like this without getting your own, your own population against you. And everybody who criticizes is now for the government a right corner nuthead who is like a Nazi, basically, right? And yeah. that doesn't fly because well, I, don't, I don't know anybody uh, who likes this. Well, see, that's what we've, we've, we have spoke about this before, where anybody who has a different of opinion now just that you're right wing. You're right wing. You don't like this. You're right wing. Yeah. And like I would see myself as a as a very left kind of person. But yeah. you make you you say one thing that is against the grain or against what is today's or or this week's you know hot topic, then you are you know persona non grata in 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 all terms. Yes, and it's like for example, only on the migration issue. We, we have around 500,000 people who got rejected, right? So who have basically, they got the order to leave Germany, but they don't. And the best is they still get social security. So you think like, uh, then the government actually don't want that they leave because otherwise you would, of course, at least cut the payment. Mm -hmm. you know, but but the, a lot of people in the, gov in the population think that this specific government Things that is a good thing that we have 300,000 people every year coming in from Afghanistan, Eritrea, Senegal, Somalia, and that they will, will bring a big Vogue rainbow culture here and not an Islamic culture. And they they were and they're turning all into engineers for VW. So, I mean, it's 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 just like a completely where you think, okay, well, I don't know if you look the reality, but it's not the case. It's mm -hmm. not like we're getting here immigrants from Tokyo. And, you know, you know I, so, I'm and, I'm starting to see I'm starting to see why why you turned on critics and wanted to put them in boxing matches. <laughs> you know, no, I, I mean it, it is all the political uh, uh, talk. We can do it endless, but but I'm a political person, and the films are also commentary too. But things. yeah, but yeah, but that's you're, you're you're speaking to your own you're speaking to your own value and you're speaking to your own uh, you know personality. You know, I don't think anyone can say that you know that you're not that kind of person. But you know, it, just stepping to them kind the critics kind of boxing match what i want to know i've seen i obviously watched a couple you know where you kind of fuck some people up you know is there is there one person in particular who you would have wanted to have stepped into the ring with critic wise yeah i mean in the, in the old days michael bay oh <laughs> <laughs> but can i just say we do actually have a listener question <laughs> i've got one here that called it over liam in richmond virginia actually said hi over love your work uh, who would you most want to take on in a boxing match today, and why would it be Michael Bay? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. And, uh, no, because I felt the whole time that the great Michael Bay stuff was always shot by basically action directors or second unit directors, yeah. and everything what he shot is like total shitty dialogue with unbelievable characters and totally cliche, ultra patriotic films. And I, I hate that, you know, so it's 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 like 
of course, he did a few good films. I don't like taking everything away from him, and they were they were practical done. They were properly done. But for this amount of money, what he had for all that films, I think he did the minimum of emotional impact to the audience, or also intellectual impact to the audience. He doesn't use all that money he could he could make films with, and try to bring that little extra in what other directors do. I mean, what watch Heat from Michael Mann, right? So gangster film, thriller. But I mean, compared to Michael Bay's films, that was a total masterpiece. And I always will love that film. Watch Ronin, whatever. Like, so there are films that are just made by better directors with less money. And then the action is better. It's more believable. And you have this kind of like, uh, real characters in a way you get a connection to the film and with Michael Bay I never had that you know I always felt like with this amount of money everybody would deliver a film what looks like this clean and high end and so on so it's funny, not funny, funny enough I, I watched Napoleon last night um, <laughs> and that kind of speaks to to that you know I love Ridley Scott you know I think the, the duelists I watched the duelists years ago and I think duelists is one of the best films I've ever seen. And uh, I sat and watched Napoleon last night. And it's amazing what you can do with a whole pile of money. That's all I can say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, it's, but I think Ridley, I have a, a different, let's say I have a mixed relationship to Ridley Scott. I think uh, he did some amazing films, right? So, and uh, he's uh, super talented, but you always feel he comes from advertising. Yeah. You always feel that basically the first 30 years or 35 years of his life, he just did 60 seconds advertising great looking productions, but uh, didn't he didn't have his own handwriting. You know, he doesn't, you don't feel that he's personally really involved with the characters and struggles through things where you get also emotionally totally attached to something you know like uh yeah you have like great great suspense and whatever in action but you don't have this kind of what you had on take the younger oliver stone right i mean uh he i think went a little completely sideways the last 20 years but but he did films where i was crying mm -hmm. you know like when you when you watch born on fourth of july or mm -hmm. uh, salvador uh, uh, platoon and 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 even natural bronchulas. I was not crying, but I laughed. Natural bronchulas. Yeah. Right? So he really did film history where you say like, "Wow, what the fuck!" Right? And Scorsese did some of this kind of films too, where you will never forget it, where you will uh, have always also an emotional connection uh, to. And it's uh, you know, and that with Ridley Scott, I never had that even if he had similar amounts of money, stars, and everything uh, together. So, uh, but he he didn't deliver what, what they on their peak uh, did. So how does it feel for you as a, a an indie filmmaker on the outside of the system, seeing films like Six Underground by Michael Bay get spent 200 million and, on Netflix because it fits the algorithm. Red Notice, whoever directed that, I don't even remember who. Um, Rebel Moon, Zack Snyder's just come out, 200 million on a vanity project. How, how does it feel for you when you don't fit that algorithm that this is the way that movie distribution is going and you're being further pushed out of the system for people who whose numbers fit an algorithm? Yeah, you know, I hoped that 
I first thought when DVD Blu-rays went down the drain after Rampage 3 2016, it's all over. I'm not doing films. That was where I did the restaurant and stuff like mm. this because I felt how I want to how I want to make any money back if there's no more rental or DVD Blu-ray sales. That was for me always 50, 60 percent of the revenues of all my films. So and uh, then I saw that stream was growing and got bigger and you had more streamers, you had more possibilities. So I felt 2020, uh, okay, you know what? I should go back and try to make films, yeah? So then we delivered to streamers various films, ideas and uh, projects, TV show about in the name of the king, like a TV series, uh, a thing about the, the uh, civil war, like the farmer wars in Germany in the middle ages, like very good developed things. A lot of things, even with actors attached, whatever. And no, nothing. They bought various of my films, like Netflix bought, I think, 18 or 19 of my films. But for what? 50 grand, 75 grand, like finished film, like license, they licensed them. Mm. And they paid really shitty in comparison to what they spent to other people or what that the, that stupid contracts they give to some producers who made one good show and then they're getting a hundred million dollar contract. And even Harry and Meghan got a hundred million dollar contract and Obama got a hundred million dollar contract for what? You know, they're getting all that money. They buy offices and whatever people sitting there developing stuff. All that money, I hoped they would spend also to be a little more down and dirty genre producers to have a whole line of, for example, if I would run Netflix, I would definitely do, uh, because you have to see the size of Netflix, right? Every week, there are four or five new films and yeah. series every week. So I would definitely dedicate whatever, 200 million bucks, what is nothing, to 100 filmmakers, uh, young filmmakers, and give them 2 million each to make their first horror film or whatever, like a genre film. Yeah, from, from the 100 films will maybe 80 totally suck, but 20 could be the new Bloomhouse you know, mm. like smile, whatever yeah. it could with a new Halloween. So yeah, it's true. Yeah, and it's almost no spend in comparison what they spend on stupid shit. But you like you watch the first minute or you watch this trailer. I mean, we all do it. We're sitting there, and then oh, what is this? Then you start watching something, and you think, oh god, I, I just cannot do it. I then, especially if you know it's eight episodes or something, and yeah. then it's very early where you feel. I'm not spending eight hours to watch this. I'm not really interested. And they do that over and over again. And you can say an eight episode Netflix show with like some action is a hundred million bucks. I mean, they're spending like 10 million per episode on stuff and uh, how much you can do. And I hoped also what also didn't turn out to be true. Now, after the Hollywood strikes that they should buy more product from independent filmmakers. Yeah. No, my see, the, see what the problem yeah. problem partly with it as well is that you you know, even shows like like even like Stranger Things, which is their biggest their biggest show on on Netflix, yeah. from the first season of Stranger Things to the last one that came out, they are just two two completely different shows. You know, even like the the feel of it, the look of it. You know, back like I I actually really enjoyed the first season of of, of Stranger Things. I thought it was new. I thought it was fresh. You know that kind of eighties kind of feel that they put, kind of put it synth music, and then it kind of turned into this kind of glossy kind of 200 million dollar movie and then you find out that they're, they're actually spending 15 to 20 million dollars on every episode i mean that's fucking bizarre yeah no that is like i look my my friend sean williamson uh he did the good doctor 
for seven or eight seasons in, in Vancouver, right? So, but he's the line producing company. It's ABC or whatever the, the, the network is. The, the first season, and I, I'm not a fan of The Good Doctor. It's just TV uh, stuff, right? But it started on 2 million per episode. And the last season was 12 million per episode. And of course, that comes with the fees. They, they're also, the, I think all the streamers, totally overpaying talent. You know, the reason why you don't get any talent anymore for a film is because they're getting so much money to do TV shows now. In yeah. earlier years, when I did uh, In the Name of the King, Jason Stessem, I paid a million bucks. Uh, now it's 12, right? So, I mean, it's it's a, that, that, and that didn't come all from his, I mean, he's more a theatrical guy and he turned big, but it came, comes also from that Mac and this stuff, uh, Fast and the Furious, where he's not really the lead. But there are films that cost $300 million, you know, like, or $200 million, and they pay him 10, 15, 20 million for this kind of films. And then he gets for the beekeeper the same because it's an Amazon film. And they say, oh, well, 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 we just give him the money. And and that is the thing where I think with, with the high tech companies like Apple and Amazon, whatever, entering this, this market, it was financially very, very good, but only for specific producers. Only for, for the white crowd, it it's actually horrible because now there is no more spot for a good smaller film anywhere. You know, yeah. and you have this kind of uh, then totally the people who buy the licenses for Netflix when you go in Germany and you want to sell it or in US, whatever, they are like the 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 people who are sitting in the basement, right? And they get, get told buy us hundred indie films per year for like a hundred grand mark max, you know. So and that is of course a total insult because you cannot recoup any film with this. Yeah. It's the total joy. It means like we want that you die uh, and never make a film again. That is why we pay you so bad. But in between, keep filming and we buy this shit for nothing. And then we give like Prince Harry 10 million for a doku, what costs like 150 grand to shoot. And and so, and yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous, you know? it's I think it's, it's so absurd. And I really hope now when the, when the strike finished, I had the whole time a totally different opinion about the strike in general, right? So, of course, with the AI, I totally understand why people say that cannot be allowed to let's duplicate mm. and never pay me again. That is, That was the point where I would say, yes, there was absolutely should be a strike, right? But when you see how much crew makes on real Hollywood films, on network films, then they were all whiny you know, for no reason whatsoever. When you're in a writer's room of Narcos or whatever, like let's say whatever, a real show, you make like 50 grand a month to be in the writer's room. They're making 12,000 a week. So, and they were whiny. They were acting on the on the streets. They were all like protesting, like Ron Perman, whatever, Ron Perman is a multimillionaire. You know, and you feel like, uh, did they have any connection to the real people who work for two and a half thousand bucks a month? And mm. even like, gaffers, electricians, uh, uh, when I shot in New York for a shift, right? So you can say any crew member made at least four to 500 bucks a day. That is already double as what you make when you work a normal job, like a normal job, you know, the mailman, whatever, and or working in an office somewhere. So that is real money, you know, and then they're getting some overtime money and stuff like this, and they're still whiny about it. And I said the whole time, 
if this gets like, let's say they win the strike, what they did in the end, I think they all won and everybody has now to sign way higher contracts. What will happen is they just, they don't produce so much anymore. And it happens yeah. already. 30% drop in productions. So, and that is the normal result, what the, the employer is always on the longer end, right? Because he just says, okay, if everything gets 30% more expensive, we shoot 30% less, you know? And I think that is very bad for the industry and it should be leading to, they pay you more money for films. They have no risk. Like my film I shot in New York is a very good police film, First Shift. It's very good. It turned out very, very good, very strong film. But it has only people from TV shows, right? Tristan Renton from Sons of Anarchy. So it has good cast, but it doesn't have superstars. It doesn't have Jennifer Lopez or something. So, but it's it's working. Everybody watched it, loved it, and then they passed on it, right? Oh, no, but, but the cast, the cast. And I said, look, I watch nonstop on Netflix or Amazon TV series where I know don't know anybody. Yeah. And then episode comes out and everybody oh the new star total bullshit yeah so i said like in my in my film uh daniel soli he was the bad guy in the juice with james franco the main yeah. killer mm -hmm. right is a big guy in my film i said so who you want i i said like what, what the fuck i mean if daniel soli is no name or Kristen renton or gino pizzi was the lead in shades of blue with jennifer lopez whispered together the love affair and everything i said so I have here a film with a lot of people that are worldwide known from the TV shows. You know, before, two years ago, everybody said, oh, stop with Dominic Purcell, stop with Don Johns, whatever, like all the washed up people, they're all dead, forget them. So then I went and got hot TV actors and now like, oh, we, nobody knows these people. I said, yeah, what the fuck you want? You think I get Will Smith playing in a $2 million New York movie or what? You, you probably could at the minute, to be honest. He's <laughs> probably yeah. not working a lot right now. <laughs> no, Will Smith. But, but the thing is like, you feel like, what is this? I mean, what you have to deliver that they say, you know what? If we would shot that film, it would cost us 10 million bucks. So we give him a million bucks for that film. You know, that would be an offer. You would say, okay, so now I have maybe some other rights still for me, whatever, right? So you can, you can, uh, uh, you can do something with it, but you're not dead in the water if they say, we give you a hundred grand. Yeah, but nobody, that's the thing though. Nobody wants to take a risk anymore because everything now, everything now is built on, are they watching 45 minutes of this TV show? Are they watching half an hour? You know, are they going to stay for the second episode? You know, binge watch. And if they don't binge watch it, we leave it. So that's why even like, like even TV shows now or you know, good TV shows are just getting canceled because, you know, a hundred thousand people didn't binge watch from episode three to episode four. And, yeah. you know, I was having a conversation with a guy the other day and he was talking about the that show Sandman, Neil Gaiman's Sandman comics. I fucking adore them. They're fantastic. And even the show, yes, has had its problems, but you know it was well put together, it was well acted. And they're umming and on now on whether to make it or not. You know, apparently fifty million people watched it on Netflix, but apparently they're going, nah, you know, but they didn't binge watch from episode three to episode four. Nah, I don't think we're going to take a risk. And it's just it's it's such a strange skewed narrative. Where people now just now nah, we're not going to take that risk. So what we're going to do now is we're going to we're going to throw two hundred million at you know Zack Snyder to to make another movie. You know because because two hundred million people will watch that. 
Yeah, yeah, there's no okay. la- there's no lasting legacy. No, but I agree. It's it's like also, but I think also there are a lot of times they're wrong. I think the algorithm a lot of times betrays them and they yeah. continue with shows that are dead. And uh, you see that too. And what I what I felt, you know, when I came with like in the name of the king as a TV series, like a reboot, right? For example, I thought that is the total winner because in the name of the king has three films. It was worldwide. It's totally known, right? So I wrote to Netflix and Amazon. I said, look, here is a product. What if you run it through your algorithm has already hundreds of millions of people worldwide who are aware of the property. Yeah. Uh, And they passed, right? And they said, yeah, maybe, but we're right now not looking for like fantasy action. You know, I said, so are you telling that also to whatever a top producer you you've like drawn howard you know like i mean that is the thing if they or, jo- or george r. r martin you know yeah. you're saying not the george r. r martin you know that is so absurd right and uh then they do decisions like when they i think when they continued lord of the rings or they continued uh, uh or did the prequel shows like the uh, uh nah uh, the hbo show dragons uh Oh, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, Thrones. Game yeah. of Thrones House of, yeah, yeah. House of Dragon. From the beginning on, that is the worst idea I ever heard because there are things that just stop, right? Where you feel like, why you do this to yourself? It will bomb. And then they double down and do more seasons and spend 500 million on it. I don't know one person who watched that through, not one, right? So I watched like half an hour and I said, oh, I can't just cannot do it anymore. So, and I think that is idiotic. And then you have also, for example, so Rampage 1, when they released, I've even Twittered about it, when they, that long list from Netflix with the 18,000 productions, how much they were viewed in minutes. They released that four weeks ago, whatever. So I looked up and Rampage One, who run only at Netflix in US. So it had a big disadvantage in comparison to all the productions who were running worldwide, right? I mean, because if you run only in the US, you cannot be seen so many times had 3.8 million uh, hours views. So we were, if you if you omit the TV series, I was in position like, uh, what was it? 7,000, whatever, from like 18,900, right? And But if you see the territory was restricted to US and you take, because it's only ours, means take the TV series out because they have a big advantage. TV series is 12 hours, 10 hours, whatever. And my film is 90 minutes long, right? I was in the top 1500 films of Netflix of all times with Rampage and they paid me 75,000 bucks. So, you know, and I, when you look the films under me, right? So you feel like, so they spent for this 40, for this 80, for this 150, for this 120. There were tons of films. They were made for almost 100 million bucks. They were less watched as Rampage. I bet if Rampage would run worldwide, I would did the same amount of hours like the Irishman. Mm-hmm. And it's very yeah. simple because you watch the Rampage, you see the poster, you see the trailer, you watch it. You say like, oh, I want to, I want to see that. And so I emailed to Netflix and said, look, is that not a success? Is that not something you should say we should do with bald something? Like to just let him do one thriller or whatever and we give him 10 million bucks and he's doing a real film for us where I've never got an answer, right? But it was for me important to just send that over to say, look, uh, this is really 
that film did very, very good. Like very, very good. There were tons of, especially the local films, think about in Germany, they do dark, they did like 1899. They're all the way, way under me, like from the from the hours watched, right? And this were productions. They spent 40, 50 million to produce it. So you feel like it's ridiculous. So I think it's it's not all the algorithm. It's also they kiss the ass of some producers, some actors come with their favorite ideas, and then they're getting all the money they want because they have a dinner together. You know, if Will Smith comes, or maybe not Will Smith anymore, but but whatever. You know, when when you have Ben yeah. Affleck came, came, how many shit movies Ben Affleck did the last five years? Yeah. <laughs> and you see, like, who watches him again? Like, watch him a crap. But because of Ben Affleck, we do it. And it's it's total... That is also very hard for an indie filmmaker because I cannot get that actors anymore because they're all getting totally overpaid. It is. It's a vicious circle, isn't it? You can't get the actors because they're all being overpaid. You can't yeah. go for you can't go for TV actors because you need big actors for your movie. So the yeah. cycle just continues. It just yeah. goes round and round in circles. Yeah. Look, I had. Like I have a, a film I want to shoot in April and I had a film I tried to cast last year, intense, like the, the name was 12 Hours. We changed it in Kingmaker, but it's basically very short thing. Family gets kidnapped in South Africa. He gets blackmailed, a guy from America, but he lived in South Africa or his parents lived there. So he gets blackmailed and killing five people in uh, like 12 hours uh, All the families there. So now he goes against the clock, but at the same time, he tries to figure out like why? So everybody who's killing, he's basically asking before, like he's kidnapping them, you know, like why the fuck, they who wants you dead? We have to find uh, uh, what's going on. So it's it's a great concept, you know, that always like your transporter, you had crank, whatever you had, like so. But for me, it's clear, I cannot shoot this without a real known guy doing it. It doesn't have to be Jason Statham. It could be somebody where people would not expect in a film like this, but you need a name. Yeah. Whatever, Ethan Hawke, Mark Ruffalo, I don't care, but you would have like maybe 50 to 80 names you could you could hire, but you're not getting anybody of them. I asked James McAvoy, and then, then they said, the agent said he uh, did too much similar thing to my son. That was a good thrill I watched with him, where his son mm. gets kidnapped. It was very good. And I felt he could do it, but it was too similar, he said. So, and um, then I asked like Ben Foster would be also great, great, right? And I wanted like 2 million bucks. And I know that it is insane. It's Ben Foster, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, you know, it's a great actor, but he's definitely an art house actor. He's definitely in most of the films, not even the lead, right? Mm -hmm. So you cannot pay him 2 million, you never get the money back. It's impossible. You know, I offered like 600,000 bucks. I said, like, I mean, that should do it for Ben Foster, right? So I, <laughs> I don't do it. But that happens because they're all getting that offers to be in a TV show, in a TV series now. And they don't mind. They play this because they get the same money. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got a couple more questions for you, and then we're going to let you go and enjoy your, your fucking ender. Yeah, so it's all good. So you can. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about the boxing. Because I've literally one amateur fight once and I was shitting myself. So God knows what you were feeling having set this up, this whole event back in 2006. Uh, you've picked four critics on the internet for faceless 
shit slingers who have uh, who have given you hell for ruining their beautiful video game movie or whatever and you took them on in boxing matches now the one thing i got from watching raging ball the documentary it's on youtube watch it everybody it is absolutely brilliant the one feeling i got from watching this was these guys had turned up some of them had costumes on so the none of them had trained they weren't taking the event as seriously as you were and it got said to me that the, they weren't taking you seriously as a filmmaker they're not taking you seriously as a fighter and when you're about to go in the ring, did that drive you on even more to really make a statement? The fact that these four goons turned up and they're still not taking me seriously. I mean, they were aware before they got a doctor uh, check up. They got the mouthpiece made. They went with me to the boxing gym where I was training in Vancouver. And I did a very hard sparring there against a very good guy. It's also on yeah. YouTube, right? So where yeah, 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 I've seen, yeah. So you know, and and so I think they were aware that I really prepped for that fight, and I will not dance around a thousand people paying tickets. It was in the Plaza of Nation. They paid really money to be on a fight night. The people to not hit them. You cannot do that. It was not wrestling, right? So and uh, they know it, but I think they felt they wanted to do the maximum PR out for themselves. And they think they were so cool running around in a Superman cape or whatever, like Richard Kianka, you know, and you had the feeling they wanted to get the maximum out of that free trip to Vancouver and the maximum, yeah. uh, this kind of getting attention, getting exposure, famous. clicks, you know, and um, I was only mad and later two guys said, I promised that I didn't hit them. That is, was total bullshit because I said from the beginning on, I want to destroy you guys. So, you know, and... Uh, you step in the expert in the boxing match yeah. and don't expect to get hit. Yeah, total, total absurd. And, um, well, you know, when the fight ended, but it's not on YouTube, whatever, but the, I said after the fight in the ring, only one line. I said, if I would prep my film like this guy's the boxing matches, you know, yeah. then you would have like a total disastrous shit show where you would say, okay, that are really the worst films ever made. And I think they were aware because they were at the postal set at that point. They, uh, uh, they saw that we're making real films, you know, and it's not like you can mm -hmm. push somebody in the internet and you can write bad articles about a director. But if you don't see a difference between like House of the Dead or Alone in the Dark and an Ed Wood film shot in the garage, with one guy, right? Yeah. You have no clue from filmmaking as a, and as a film critic, you should know at least how hard it is, how many people working together to make a real film. And when you watch some of the films, when I close my door quick, because my son's getting up. And, uh, Uber Bell will be back after these brief messages. The pause is over. So, and you know, and you, you feel like, um, that that a lot of people don't appreciate the effort mm. at all, and they don't see a difference between somebody who shoots with his buddies on a cell phone something, or you have hundreds of people, and you actually spend money. You know, so and I think that that they maybe saw there, and a few of them changed their opinion, but overall. Uh, it's it's easier to just bash people into the ground and uh, discredit them, and you don't accept or you don't honor the they actually 
work they put in. And I felt all the films, watch them now, they're still holding up even with the CGI. It's not that Alone in the Dark now looks like total crap if you watch it. And you know, and you had so many people working on it in the technical departments of all that films, um, you in a way discredit them too. Mm. You know, yeah. Was, it, uh, it's, yeah. it, it's it's the techs, it's the crew, it's the cast, it's everybody behind who come together to make a movie. It's it's an overball film, which is there, but there is a whole group of people behind. And I think there's an awful lot of shit out there uh, in terms of films. It's a, a lot we've seen doing this podcast. And, and I just think, well, looking at those critics, looking at what they say about you, I think it's more back then... We see nowadays where people, you know, they bring out Sonic and they don't like the Sonic movie because the Sonic doesn't look right. Let's cancel them. Uh, Chris Pratt is voicing Mario. He doesn't sound like Mario. Let's cancel him. And people love these fandoms. And I think back 20 years ago, that was the start of it. People have got the internet. Um, Uwe Ball's made this film. Let's attack him. Let's attack him, him personally, until he stops ruining our precious fandom. Uh, and people, Star Wars, they do it with Star Wars. They've driven people off x and facebook through their their trolling and i think yours was the start of that in my opinion yeah that is, i i gave an interview last year to a tech a video game magazine in the us uh, i i forgot the name but this guy was like the biggest writer about like this technology stuff i and I, I never heard about it, but it doesn't matter i said like he is really like people will read that article and he wrote that as you said like i was the forefront of the video game based movie industry because mm -hmm. before you had a few films wing commander you know like uh old super mario whatever but but you never never had like people really thinking about it. You, you didn't have this kind of i was the first person who's with real structure did film after film after film based on video games and that in a way triggered then later that it turned into what it is now you know, so and and he said, like, of course, I got bashed for it, but it has also to do with this kind of audience you want to attract. And they are like, uh, not, let's say, the easiest to please or <laughs> no. to hate you. And, you know, and that is the thing. And then uh, I was always outspoken. I was always uh, not, um, let's say, like devote, and you know, I never bend over to people. Like if mm. uh, if I'm in front of a crowd, I give a shit. Like I'm, if I think they're total full of shit, I tell them, and that hated they hated it even more because they like to pamper this kind of innocent people. You know where they are really so appreciative to whatever what my fans say, and then they're getting like totally hyped up. Look at the Blair Witch people, right? They got in the big, they got so hyped up, everybody. Mm. Blair Witch people, you know, and then I mean, I watched Blair Witch, and I was like, "What the fuck?" I mean, <laughs> why is that creepy? I was not like <laughs> creeped out for a second. I felt like there's an amateur shit film in the forest, and nothing happens. <laughs> on the and I, I tell you a funny episode. I was in an elevator in the South Place Hotel in Vancouver with the girl from Blair Witch. Like we we went, I and I recognized her. And I looked at her and I just and, and I looked at her and then I told her, like, I'm so scared, like to just piss her off, right? <laughs> was that the uh... <laughs> it's the only like the, the, the figure to be <laughs> <laughs> was that the was that the snot girl? 
Yeah, she's yeah, doing exactly. these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, always filmed herself, right? So, I mean, and that is the thing, like, as a film buff myself, you know, I felt like nobody would film yourself when you run away because you get hacked into pieces from somebody or ripped apart. It's so, that was so absurd, that film for me. And it, but it was a genius marketing campaign, but they got all the love, right? I, I When you read the initial reviews, oh, it's so scary, whatever. So I felt like, are they all blind? Or who writes film reviews? Did you never watch The Shining or stuff or whatever, what is really creepy and well-made? And, uh, you know, or the, the John Carpenter films. So, and, but that is the same. And I think that they, a lot of people hated that on me that, um, I'm not shy to say my opinion, you know? And I know also my look, I've grown up, I've watched thousands and thousands of films. I had no connection to the film industry. So nobody can tell me I didn't did my homework. You know, well, I don't film history, <laughs> or, uh, you know? And, and that is the thing. I mean, a lot of directors now, I think their film film watching started if with a Star Wars, you know, or later. And they just yeah. have no clue from if you say uh, Rio Bravo or John Huston, they're all names. They have no clue what's what, uh, who's is it, who is this? And and that is the thing. I And I feel like I, I really don't need to uh, try to please the people. Uh, I know what I'm doing. Well, that brings us nicely on. So first of all, uh, let's talk Letterboxd, the social media review. First of all, <laughs> that is that is your account, isn't it, Uber? Or it was. It's, I think it's blocked or something. It's yeah, but okay. it, yeah. So it definitely, it definitely was you. Yeah, so, I did it. I did it with Gary Otto, the guy I do my awesome. For, right. to, um, to really disturb everybody on. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the one of the ones I feel I can read out without myself getting cancelled would be uh, Den of Thieves. Um, this is Uva's review of Den of Thieves. I like the movie. Gerard Butler has said no to me five times, so forget him. <laughs> I think that's quite polite. So yeah, that's the most polite one I can find. So we've got three films that are uh, um, Movie Chef podcast films. We want an overball one line review of each of these. We know you'll have seen them. You must do. And it's actually going to break my heart if you're negative about it. Okay. So first of all, Point Break, the the original, original Catherine Bigelow. Oh, uh, I cannot trash Point Break. It was a great film. Good. Good. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. Good. That's okay. That's good. We can stick with that. Yeah. Hudson Hawk. Oh, who was in Hudson Hawk? Bruce Willis, uh, Danny Aiello. Richard E. Grant, Danny Aiello. Yeah, I'm going to send you a copy of Hudson Hawk. I'm sure Hudson Hawk, based on the title, is crap. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but it's our kind of crap. Uh, lastly, Showgirls. Um... I could say I never masturbated on showgirls. <laughs> <laughs> Even if people told me, I could say you're going to say I could say that, but yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> for as his his best, I was yeah? um, no, and I'm horrible. I was of course horrible, but it had some uh, elements to it that were worth watching. Yeah. And we'll leave it on that. by the bell again the same way, did you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, look, tell us tell us where we can find you on on the World Wide Web and tell us what you got coming up this year, got coming out. What do we look for from uh, Overball? 
Yeah, so in uh, I was able my first ship film I was able to sell to US, Canada, and German speaking so far. So in June comes a little theatrical release with Quiver in US. They did also like that for a dollar and some other uh, films, and um, in Germany, Kino Star, and we have a invitation to a film festival in Germany where we will show it. Uh, and I hope I can sell the rest of the country soon. UK offered me a straight to distribution deal, but I didn't took it so far because it's always the same shit, right? You don't get money up front and then they charge you death with the uh, costs they have to. Yeah. So this this I didn't took so far. Um, And uh, yeah, people can look out for it and then we will see what will happen uh, uh, with this shitty streaming offers I will will get again. So I hope almost for a TV series like that, that we do eight more episodes of First Shift, but it doesn't look good. And then we'll do in uh, April in Croatia as a, a co-production, um, a film with the title Run. And it's playing in one day. And it's about, it's like a kind of an action film, but with the migrants. So you have basically migrant boats coming in, but it's playing a little in the future and it gets very violent. So it's basically a typical dystopia ball film. What warns everybody, if you do it wrong, it will escalate to violence. And uh, that is, of course, will be a scandal, whatever. But I give a shit because I think um, it's very important to just, similar to the four, to really show what's going on, right? So you have the, the smugglers, they're making the money, people drowning, people uh, getting abused to come, but they think they're getting a high pay and getting rich in Europe. So, But at the same time, with the ongoing coming, it basically destroys the infrastructure, the school system, the healthcare system, the, the what we said before with the resentment of the population. And it's, it's very, it's a, a powder barrel, right? So where one, action can lead to a lot of violence. And uh, that is why fiction films are good to do from time to time to say, look, that can happen if the situation gets completely out of control. Uh, and uh, But I, I definitely show uh, the migrants not as bad people, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, like that was for me important. I'm not a racist or whatever they coming here to have a better life for whatever reasons. So, but I also cannot make a total Vogue film acting like everybody who comes is welcome and everything is perfect. No, it's not. It's a total shit show what totally escalates to to a very bad in total in Europe uh, uh, situation, what will destroy also our wealth. You know, like we are, and I'm not talking about our wealth because we're all whatever, the mega rich, I talk about the normal persons are like hammered by extra costs who come because there's so much money now going into social services for everybody, not only for Mm -hmm. uh, Germans or Italians, French, uh, British. So that is the thing. They need to find a way to uh, make jobs in Africa to really, you know, like it doesn't bring anything if Prince Harry is in Africa I have it with Prince Harry, you see. So, but if Prince <laughs> Harry is in Africa and says, we're drilling a well together with Mr. Beast, right? So, I mean, nobody, that will not solve the migrant crisis. 
But what could solve the migrant crisis is, for example, that big companies who manufacture in China and Bangladesh, bank, like British, German companies, Adidas, whatever, like, you know, like textile companies, you can make all of this in Africa. You can, that is closer mm -hmm. and it's in a way the same costs like in, in, in China. And you move, uh, you, you, you really open up, of course, first subsidized with tax dollars, otherwise the, the, the companies will never do it. But you need to, to really create a life there with work and not with, here's my Red Cross old garbage uh, jacket, right? So, I mean, it's bullshit. So, and I think that is what Europe really has to decide, like how we want to do it. Like, you know, like we cannot have millions of people coming every year over from Africa. It, 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 it will not work. And, but we also cannot act like nah, nothing happens. You know, we need to think about it, how we make that more livable there and how we create uh, economies there. So you have mining there. You have, of course, all the, the Arab states who are very rich with the oil. But you have also countries like, look at Nigeria. I mean, all the Nigerian internet scammers could, could also work for Adidas. I mean, no, but, no, but there are whole businesses. It's not, there are countries there. They have a lot of technology knowledge. They're not stupid or whatever, right? So And where you could arrange manufacturing, where you could uh, put in the industries there. Uh, why are all call centers in India? Right. So why why not why not in uh, in Africa? Somebody speak English too. So I mean that is the it's the thing. I I think we really need a big uh like politics who are not like thinking too small and yeah. like hey we have to protect that borders there a little more. That will not change the ongoing. Uh, I think problem. we need to we need to start having a worldview kind of thing. You know, look at the world. Don't just look at you know smaller things. Let's look at bigger things. Yes. Yeah. You know? But uh, it needs some bold decisions. And uh, unfortunately, Europe is the opposite of bold decisions in the last 20 years. And uh, the bold decisions coming out from China or from the US. And, and we are all like in Europe, I think, very much uh, caved in. You know, yeah. this kind of like, uh, yeah. what can we do till next Tuesday? But not like this kind of how we want Europe in 20 years or 30 years. And, and I think that that is uh, something it dissolves more and more. Now, yeah. Well, on that note, very <laughs> profound note, actually. <laughs> Overball, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Um, yeah. Absolutely wonderful opportunity. And maybe when Run comes out, First Shift comes out, you might want to come back and have a chat a bit further, totally. maybe, when we've totally. got... Uh, when we've got yeah. some time to talk about your newer stuff. Yeah, send me the link, right? I will post it everywhere and then uh, we stay in, in contact. Thank you very no much, Uwe. Overall, thank you very much. Have a great day. Vielen Dank. Well, there we have our um, interview with Overball. Um, Unbelievable. What a guy. What if, a guy. You've, if you've got this impression of what who Overball is, Go and read up. Go and watch the Raging Bull documentary. Go and watch the Fuck You, I Am Who I Am documentary with Uber Ball. Actually read some stuff from him rather yeah. than what people write about him. And I think you'll be surprised. Really interesting guy. Really knowledgeable guy. But uh, right. that Listen, was a again, lot of fun. Again, he's very political. He's very outspoken. But what did anyone expect with an interview <laughs> from Uber Ball? So you can find over on uh, X, Twitter, whatever, uh, at 
Uverball7, U-W-E-B-O-L-L-7. Um, you can find him on the Uverball Raw podcast. Um, that is on Spotify. You can hear him weekly uh, chatting to one of his mates that he mentioned about Letterboxd. Um, and then, like I say, go and have a look for films that are on uh, Netflix and, and Amazon at the minute. Really give him a lot of love and support because the more we watch those films and the more we interact with those films, the more chance, as he's just mentioned in the interview, of those films getting made, not just by him, but other independent creative filmmakers that have got ideas that are not getting funded if we go and watch these films and enjoy these films then there is more chance of more variety uh being produced which gives me and cormac more films to talk Yay! about. <laughs> but anyway look thank you very much for joining us everybody um last episode we did say we're going to be talking video game movies there's the video game movies uh, i don't know what next next week's is going to be um one thing I do want to say is, though, we do have an episode coming up with another podcast, Caster Roll, and they're going to be doing a quiz with us, a special quiz episode in a couple of weeks' time. Um, if you want to be on a Movie Chef podcast interview or quiz, uh, email us podmoviechef at gmail.com. Um, Cormac's going to go to work. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go cook some schnitzel. Okay. Is, is that Fuck a, you like a... <laughs> it's a German thing. I'll try to go German. German yeah. yeah. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody.